Hello friends, welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. Ben Franklin famously opined that three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead. Or in a less macabre paraphrase, your secrets will only stay secret if you can keep them to yourself. Easier said than done, right? The human race is a chatty bunch, and in the name of community, curiosity, or even just convenience, we'll happily let all kinds of things slip. If we're lucky, we're whispering into a friendly and hopefully discreet ear. If not, our private business becomes public knowledge. If this principle holds true for the latest gossip of who said what and who went home with whom, it's doubly true for our digital secrets. From our credit card numbers to our home addresses to the very passwords that protect them, we're all eager to share as we shop, work, and talk to each other online. If we're lucky, the platforms and tools we interact with are safe and secure repositories. If not, we might as well be shouting our most intimate details from the nearest rooftop. In this episode, Sam Raymond, our Chief Information Security Officer and SVP, and Shaked Vox, Co-Founder and Chief Product Officer of Anonabit, break down how to keep our passwords and digital secrets safer, or even eliminate them altogether. From intrinsically unstealable biometric data to the diffusion of blockchain, there are all kinds of ways to share secrets without bringing bad actors into the circle of trust. And of course, for every solution they find, our human fallibility presents an interesting Achilles heel. Hey, Shaked. Thank you so much for joining me today. Um... As we're all talking about zero trust quite a bit these days, and, and we all understand how important um, identity is, people call it identity is a new perimeter, and I, I don't like that term either, but it, it does make sense because we're relying so much on it to verify and, and to understand exactly what the transactions are. Um, but today, we're going to get a little bit deeper, even more interesting. We're going to talk a bit about you know how do we actually secure not just identity, but a number of, of, of set of data that we traditionally just, you know, try to lock in and evolve. But without jumping into too much, I, I just want to start out by saying, you know, what's your take on ring fencing and, and zero trust and, and, and how do you look at it? Hey, Sam. Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. It's great uh, to uh, be here and have this uh, chat. And I think you bring up a really important uh, point about the ring fencing evolving into uh, kind of the understanding that ring fencing doesn't hold the fort any longer and zero trust taking a front stage. And zero trust has been discussed a lot in the past couple of years, three, four years, and now everybody realizes it's a concept. It's not a product, and there's a lot to it to implement it. And a, and a key component, even maybe the, the key pillar that you can even see in um, the, the framework that was uh, published by NIST and so forth is the identity. Uh, identity as the means to, um, uh, you know, I, I kind of enforce and uh, uh, identify and enforce and uh, inspect who accesses what when. Uh, really, really uh, core to the whole zero trust um, implementation uh, concepts. And, and then, you know, as we go along here, I think we'll get into more uh, details about which components of identity are, are critical to it and. Um, Talk about um, uh, you know how do you verify identity within the zero trust frameworks? I, I I agree. I I think so. One of the key principles, as we always say, is is in zero trust is um, to always verify, right? So as you just mentioned, um, if it's a transaction, we break it down into a transaction, making sure that by the transaction itself we verify. Right now, most of that verification is done, you know, heavily on a centralized mode still where, you know, yes, you would have an access token, 
But the access token, you know, of course, you want to expire those more quickly because having an access token that could be replayed is a problem. Um, you want to be able to validate some of those transactions more quickly. So if you have an ABAC, you can use your ABAC system to even, you know, tweak how much, how often, you know, and, and how fast you want to be able to run through those transactions. And there, there seems to be still a very uh, strong nature of, as we go through identity, we basically move the problem into, you know, from, yes, you're not uh, ring fencing, you're not building a moat around the entire system, but now you're you're making your identity a, a, a serious attack, um, uh, angle of attack for attackers. And so, you know, one of the key thing that we, you know, everybody's talking about is, uh, don't worry about it, go passwordless, go passwordless. And of course, that's that's a great idea. We all know the password is not effective, um, but but there seemed to be something there that seems to be too good to be true. It's it just you know as we talk about go through passwordless, I think that is one you know aspect of it. But um, and there are more than one type of solution for passwordless. So I, I want to get your take on it. So how do you see that? How do you see passwordless technology and and where is it going? Yeah, so first of all, I, I super agree with you that, uh, you know, using the identity uh, needs, as part of it, a strong authentication. Passwordless is is uh, a evolving and, and really picking up because uh, authentication is, um, is, is a core component, key component to identifying the user's identity. We shouldn't neglect... Uh, also, when we're talking about zero trust, the aspects of the risk detection and evaluating every authentication in the context uh, of the transaction, in the context of the uh, user access, the, what is he accessing, where is he accessing from, and so forth. So doing a kind of an adaptive access or risk-based authentication. But going back to your question about passwordless, that's a, a, an excellent point that you're bringing up. Um, as, as there's a lot of more adoption of passwordless for um, two reasons. First of all, because everybody are, you know, now fully realize that the passwords are broken because they, anything that you know, anything that you remember can be kind of uh, social engineered out of you with some kind of uh, phishing or phone call and so forth. Um, and... Um, a passwordless, uh, in many cases uh, these days, are relying on authentication that uh, is either using some kind of uh, magic link or a QR code. But uh, in most cases, it ties with uh, authentication from uh, your phone, from the biometrics on your phone, your face ID or your uh, fingerprint uh, on your phone and so forth. And that kind of uh, passes cryptographic-based uh, authentication, which is great. It's very secure. It, uh, it's really state-of-the-art. But relying on the biometric on the phone, that creates a, a bit of a false sense of security in my, in my uh, perspective. Uh, and what I mean by that is that the biometric on the phone is really not validated against who they belong to. Just as an example, I know a few persons, just asking for a friend, you know, that they have their kid's biometric, kid fingerprint also enrolled on their phone or another family member enrolled on their phone. So that means that uh, when somebody is using that biometric to validate a transaction, validate an authentication from that uh, phone, 
you can't be sure that it's really the trusted user, the, the user that you were aiming uh, for. There is a gap there between the account holder and the biometric on the phone, a gap that um, most passwordless uh, solutions do not bridge, do not have the ability to bridge. They're just taking the response from the phone as is, a kind of a binary, yes, the bi biometric password in pass, and um, use that to um, assume that it was really the valid user. So uh, this is what I mean when it uh, when I say it, it's causing a false sense of security. It's great for convenience, uh, but uh, from a security point of view, there's a gap there that also gets exploited. Uh, because if we take this uh, thought one step forward, if I'm not, if, if there's no connection between uh, the biometric owner and the account owner and I'm uh, coming with a new phone, I, I, I could be an attacker, I could be a fraudster, and I'm using my own biometrics on my own phone, and I got your uh, credentials, uh, your regular credentials or weaker credentials, uh, and I'm, I'm kind of going through a, an account recovery or, or new device enrollment process, and this way um, I'm connecting my own attacker biometrics to your account, and then it's game over. So that's kind of the the a perspective that I'm talking about when I'm saying, uh, you know, the passwordless has some uh, flaws when it's not fully connected uh, to some kind of um, centralized authentication and relying too heavily on phone biometrics. That's very interesting. I, I actually... Um... That's a that's a whole different angle. I I liked it a lot. Uh, in fact, you're you're spot on. That most of the time when I looked at you know uh, using biometrics with with phones and so on, as you pointed out, um, we're really confirming that it's the validated with somebody who can unlock the phone, not necessarily who the user is. It's just whoever can unlock that phone. That's what we're looking for. So. I think you know that that's ultimately what you ended up getting, which is what you, not what you want in, in zero trust. Especially, you truly want to identify and bind that to the end user, that person, not not just somebody who can unlock the phone. That's one aspect of it. But so, so what else is out there then? What what other technology? Um, you know, obviously, a lot of people ask me. You know, password is the same thing as distributed ledger. Is it is it the same thing as you know you know using embedded keys and so could you, what else is out there then that you would see as, as more of a viable solution or, or you know, that's, that's being researched right now? So if you, if you do want to go passwordless, you'd want to think about the solution and address this uh, gap that most uh, solution has. So specifically inspect whether that uh, passwordless uh, authentication has the ability to, um, address the use case or the event in which a user lost their phone, dropped their phone, uh, you know, uh, it dropped into the lake and they have a new phone or so they claim because it could be an attacker claiming I'm the user and I have a new phone. How do they solve that uh, use case? Because that is the Achilles heel of uh, the password. Now, to your question, there are 
some solutions that uh, provide a passwordless experience and everything that we are, today we are getting more familiar with passwordless authentication using QR code or uh, a link that we're, a magic link that we're getting uh, through our email and, and so forth. These are means of passwordless uh, authentication there are technology, and these are kind of table stakes uh, of passwordless authentication. It's kind of one factor. How do you do a multi-factor passwordless authentication that addresses this uh, gap or, or this vulnerability uh, around uh, the new uh, phone or the account recovery? This is where you want to tie into the passwordless biometric solutions that are not relying on the biometric on the phone, but can actually authenticate again some kind of a secure centralized biometric that are accessible from any phone or any browsers that you're logging in from. And that is really, really um, a, an interesting concept because it allows you to have an anchor of trust that is repeatable from any device your the user is accessing from. You're not losing that uh, convenient and strong authentication, the biometrics, uh, because you're on a new device. With that said, if you want to use biometric from some kind of a central a database, some kind of central facility that you can authenticate against uh, from any device, you have to really, really uh, take into consideration how the biometrics are uh, secured. When you're talking about the device biometric, it's great, they're secured in hardware uh, components on the device, and it's very private and, and, and so forth. And when you're going for some kind of a centralized facility, the security and privacy aspects become, um, become a concern that should be a, a thought and, and looked into when you're choosing a solution. You touched on uh, blockchain or decentralization. That is uh, actually um, exactly where you could provide a, an infrastructure that allows to secure the biometric data or any personal data to that end in a very um, um, unique way, an innovative way, uh, while still allowing to have all the pluses, all the benefits of uh, of a centralized facility you can uh, authenticate against, but uh, having the security of the decentralized fashion in which the data is uh, is uh, stored and protected. Does that uh, make sense? Perfectly. Absolutely. Um, I, I think it's interesting what you said about about the multi-factor. So it's, it's like anything else. I think there was a lot of perception out there that it, you're, 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 I'm sure you remember way back when, when people start, you know, using SMS and say SMS is a second factor and everything's going to be great. And then they hacked an SS7, redirect messages, and that becomes actually much worse because then they can automate, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the refactor, uh, the, uh, the, a uh, lot of the uh, credential theft. And, and then people start talking about using applications and then, you know, a lot of the attack vectors start using export keys because they need their export keys without that. They're concerned about it. Then a lot of applications start using export keys, and in fact, to lock people out. Most recently, the last few weeks, there are a number of attacks where people were using, you know, just export keys to lock people out. So I'm not saying that's a bad solution. That's needed. SMS same way, but we do really need to look at it as multiple factors, and 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 even if it's passwordless, 
it doesn't mean those multiple layers goes away. In fact, it become even more important because as we go and make, hopefully, password list would be also more convenient for the user. So instead of asking the user to jump through 50 different hoops, now some of those things would be much more natural. So let me ask you about that part of it. Um, what do you think about the user experience? Do you see, you know, going password list um, would, would make it better, worse, doesn't matter, does, we don't know yet. How do you feel about that? So the, the user experience has a potential of improving, but we kind of have to keep in mind all the population that we have to cater for. And not everybody are tech savvy. And, uh, you know, uh, and not everybody has connectivity all the time. So when you're, again, when you're selecting a password solution, you have to consider somebody in a rural area. Will he be able to uh, access the service or, or you know, to, to authenticate if the passwordless solution is too network communication heavy, then they they will have a problem. If the passwordless is too techy to operate, because you need to um, you know go to your email or go uh, you know for some people even scanning a QR code uh, seems complex. So I think the user experience aspect of it really. With like with any other authentication solution, you have to have uh, multiple modalities that cater to the different populations that um, will end up using it. Perfect. Um, now, Shiket, tell us a bit about your company because I know you're obviously you're an expert in the space. And it, it, tell me a bit about your company and and um, how do you solve related problems? Maybe a, a line or two about that. Yeah, so uh, thanks for asking. I um, uh, Anonibit is uh, actually a, a startup that I founded with my uh, two uh, co-founder Francis Delezny and uh, Aaron Azizi. And uh, what we do is we provide a, <laughs> actually to our conversation a passwordless biometric multi-factor authentication solution that can address all these. Uh, <laughs> gaps and, and challenges that we uh, discussed and can be used both with employees and with the organization customers. Now, the key component to that password solution is our ability to secure biometric uh, data over a, a decentralized uh, network. And, and when I say decentralized, in that case, I know a lot of people, their mind go to uh, blockchain, but it's not blockchain uh, because blockchain is great when you want to uh, share transaction between a lot of uh, parties and make sure uh, they can all trust this ledger and everything that is on it, that nobody can change it. But when you're talking about identity data or biometric data, uh, it's not the best solution because the time it takes to write and read from the blockchain, which could be seconds or even more, because you know at the, at the end of the day, blockchain is public and uh, a, everybody that has the ledger has a copy of the data. So uh, when you're talking about biometric, you don't want that directly on the blockchain. A, we have today regulation that re requires you to be able to remove a user and blockchain by definition, you cannot change or remove anything. So uh, talk, thinking about GDPR, any solution that has to be GDPR compliant cannot be blockchain based. And at the end of the day, 
even uh, from a cost uh, perspective, uh, writing one megabyte to, uh, to the blockchain based on February prices was about $17,000. So if you need to store a lot of data on the blockchain, that's not your go-to uh, um, infrastructure. So to that end, we created our own um, network that is um, based on concepts like zero-knowledge proofs and multi-party computing. Uh, which uh, is able to uh, store and secure biometric data and other sensitive data. And using that, we basically uh, build our bi passwordless biometric multi-factor authenticator. Thank you so much, Aket. I, I think, you know, maybe we can, we can come back and even talk more about uh, zero knowledge proof and, and other options as well. I think, I think, those are topic that it's all very relevant to to um, zero trust as we as we move forward with it. It's as I mentioned before, and you talked about this in depth as well. So much of this is we're pushing the importance towards identity, which is rightfully so. We always wanted to say that ultimately we want that person, whoever is interacting, to be truly the person and and, and anchor from that. But how do we do that? It's it's really the question. And so, um, well, let's let's talk again soon. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Sam. A great talk. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business experience and technology consulting, focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and Chiked Vox for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to get fingerprinted. Mm -hmm.